all that she wants is a vampire baby. Trick or treat, you're listening to the Nibbler Podcast, the Twilight Book Club for obstetricians. Impossible, I whispered. I had absolutely no experience with pregnancy or babies or any part of that world, but I wasn't an idiot. I'd seen enough movies and TV shows to know that this wasn't how it worked. I was only five days late. If I was pregnant, my body wouldn't even have registered that fact. I would not have morning sickness. I would not have changed my eating or sleeping habits. And I most definitely would not have a small but defined bump sticking out between my hips. Impossible, I said again. There was no way I could be pregnant. The only person I'd ever had sex with was a vampire for crying out loud. I'm Heather Price Wright. And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And spooky Halloween! Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We are reading the first half to two-thirds-ish, basically where the movie cuts off, of Twilight Breaking Dawn. So books one and two of your favorite vampire, werewolf, human, love triangle series. You will hear spoilers. There is more plot in this one than most. So we'll be spoiling those plot beats. Uh, There's a demon baby, among other things. And of course, your standard ample cursing and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are May-December relationships, alpha males, gender reveals, pregnancy cravings, and strange bedfellows. So let's get right down to it. Alex, what happens in this fucked up book? In the Twilight Saga, colon, Breaking Dawn, books one and two, which we read this week, we're actually breaking, we're breaking it up into two, uh, Yeah, you all do not want to listen to one full episode of this book. It would be four and a half hours long. Um, Maybe you do want to listen to that. I don't know. We are going to push two hours anyway, so good luck (laughs) getting through this one. What happened? In this week's chapters, Twilight, colon, Breaking Dawn. Is it just called Breaking Dawn? I I think it might just could be called Breaking Dawn. I don't know. Doesn't matter. In this week's chapters, Breaking Dawn opens, as all of these fucking books do, with a vague preface, which comes from later in the book, where Bella Swan is once again facing certain death, but this time it's at the hands of someone she loves. Each one of these books opens with a super vague booking preface. Where she's like, and then I resign myself to death. And it just, it really does read like a vague book status. That's like, wish people weren't so dramatic. Or <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you need to move a little faster than this. <laughs> Sorry. Or- now I know who my true friends are. Yeah. <laughs> I used to vague book like a champ. It's just been a really big... It's just been a really hard week, okay? <laughs> I have a really vivid memory when I was in the middle of a really nasty breakup. And you know where, when your status used to be, like, your name is? And it just said, Heather Price Wright is unraveling. Wow. As in my poet phase. Unraveling would be a title of one of these chapters. Yes, actually, that is very true and thematically apt. Isn't that <laughs> embarrassing, though? At least unraveling is a kind of attractive word. Yeah, I recently discovered that they're the memory 
the memories feature on Facebook, and uh, I had a lot of Bella Swan type posts like 12 years ago. I haven't had a Facebook in more than five years, said the unconscionably smug millennial. Honestly, that's like the only ethical choice in 2019. Although I still Instagram the fuck out of everything. So that's on my Facebook. There Um, is no ethical gramming under capitalism. No, there isn't. Anyway, back to the contents of Twilight after the preface. God, we're only on the preface. (laughs) Christ almighty. Okay, I'll, I'll hurry up so we can finish this in one minute. Bella is driving around Forks, Washington in her new Mercedes Guardian, which is not a real car, but it's based on a real car. It's an armored vehicle used by diplomats and probably drug lords. It's an engagement present from her fiancé, Edward, who is a vampire and also doesn't want her to get hurt while she's still human. The plan is to change Bella into a vampire sometime after the wedding, but not before they've had a chance to have sex. Fuck. Fuck. With Bella as a human. Can I interject an additional warning to the general spoilers and cursing? Yes, you may. If you are my mother or other close family members and or genuine grown-ups who listen to this podcast, we are going to talk pretty explicitly about vampire human fucking. So... If you don't want to hear us have a lot of explicit sexual conversations, this one might not be for you. Wow, should we tack this on at the beginning? I guess no. it's still early enough. It's still early. People have not yet heard us talk about the intimate mechanics of how they do this. Vampire penises. I have so many questions. Yeah, that won't be answered. I know, but we can speculate, and my mom might not want to listen to that. <laughs> Hi, mom. So anyway, she's going to listen anyway. <laughs> she's going to listen just, like frankly. while she goes to sleep. Oh, your dad might not want to hear it though. Okay, dad also, maybe I'll turn this off. Okay, I don't think they're listening anymore, so we can continue. Uh, but we're just going to talk about cars for a while because, <laughs> you know, the book opens with Bella talking about car makes and models, which is something she loves to do. Uh, so she's got this fucking bulletproof armored vehicle that is causing everyone around forks to gawk at her i love the idea of edward buying this thing from like i don't know some fucking like like, a saudi or some shit (laughs) it's probably not used to be fair that's true like he had to like do what do you just go to like raytheon and pick one of these up like i don't they don't make cars they're mostly missiles right yeah i don't know i'm imagining the cullens like tapping their like arms dealer connections Actually, the part of this book that you haven't yet read sort of gives us a window into what that kind of transaction looks like. Oh my god. So I have, by the way, y'all, I have finished this whole book. Alex stopped where we're stopping this episode. So he is still in the dark about a lot of key Yeah, so don't spoil it for me. Okay, no spoilers. So yeah, well, we can't make any promises, but so it goes. Oh my god, we have been recording for an hour. We are... Two pages in. We have been recording for seven minutes and 50 seconds, which is more like four minutes once we take out, you know, the things we usually take out. All of our general idiocy. Yeah. I tend to take more notes in the beginning of the book, so, you know, we're just going to really cover chapter one. But that sets (laughs) the scene, you know? 
Bella's been avoiding going out because everyone stares at her fucking warlord car, and that means she's been going without essentials, such as, quote, Pop-Tarts and shoelaces, unquote. So, the important things in life. Somebody in a writing class sometimes, we've talked about this before, but told Stephanie Meyer to include vivid details, and she misinterpreted that and learned extraneous details. I just love that Bella's like, God, there's two things I really need from the store right now. Pop-Tarts and shoelaces. And she's going without. So she's got nothing to eat for breakfast and she can't tie her shoes. Something about the Pop-Tarts detail I found fucking hilarious. Bella, you can't eat Pop-Tarts after you're a vampire. So you're gonna have to give that up for good. This is good practice. Honestly, she should eat as many Pop-Tarts as she can before she makes this horrible decision. Pop-Tarts are kind of delicious. Fucking cinnamon sugar Pop-Tarts are it. I like the cherry ones. You are wrong. Okay, the I mean, you're probably The only good right. Pop-Tart is the cinnamon sugar with like the maple-ish cinnamon icing. When I was a kid, we sent in our Pop-Tarts box tops to get the uh, Pop-Tarts comedy special. Just a bunch of stand-up comedy. Didn't it feature Paula Poundstone? And Paula Poundstone was in it. Making Hell jokes yeah. about Pop-Tarts, which feels very on brand. Incredible anyway, news. So that's what happens in the first five pages of this book. Uh, also setting the scene as Bella's driving through town, there are missing posters with her friend Jacob Black on them. Her father, Charlie Swan, the police chief, is looking for Jacob, who has gone missing. We know, however, that Jacob skipped town after the last book because he is A, a werewolf, and B, can't deal with his feelings for Bella, who he can't be with, because she's with Edward. So Jacob is out there somewhere, prowling through the night in werewolf form. We get to the wedding really fucking fast, the, the Bella, Edward, the Swan, Colin nuptials. Uh, the night before the wedding, Edward and Bella are doing their cold snuggle thing. They're cold snuggles, because he is constantly described as being like ice, like a marble statue. Yeah, disgusting. That's like, that's not the best part of snuggling, but whatever. It's not even like she lives in a super hot place. Like, that'd be like nice in the summer. But anyway, they're snuggling. Edward once again tells Bella that he wishes that she didn't want to become a vampire, at least right away, because he feels like he's taking away all these experiences from her, like the ability to have children. That probably won't happen later in this book. Spooky Halloween! Foreshadowing! Bella is mostly thinking about how Edward has promised to finally sleep with her in human form after the wedding. Edward then leaves to go out for his bachelor party, which mostly consists of hunting animals. So they're eaten up. Remember, they don't eat humans, the Cullens. They only eat, uh, they only drink animal blood. So they're going to hunt some fucking mountain lions, which aren't actually endangered. I looked that up. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I was worried that the Cullens were doing their, doing Edward's bachelor party by hunting endangered species. So, solid. Bella is very nervous about the wedding. She thinks about the vampire cousins who are coming in from out of town. They're sort of their cousins. Vampires have these, like, found families. But uh, some family are coming from out of town, from Denali, Alaska, for the wedding. Tanya, Kate, and Irina. Does Irina come to the wedding? She does in the movie. I don't remember if she does in the book. It feels like it doesn't really matter. Anyway, these fucking vampire cousins, they- Actually- Spoiler alert, Irina matters profoundly in the plot. 
of Twilight colon Breaking Dawn Part 2. Oh. Irina is a very important catalyst later on in the books. I mean, it makes sense. So Irina's still fucking pissed that the werewolves killed their friend Laurent, who tried to kill Bella back in Book 2, Twilight New Moon. We learn that this Denali coven there, the matriarch of the family, was destroyed by the Volturi for creating a vampire child. Once upon a time, vampires created lots of immortal children out of babies, so vampire babies, but even though they were cute as hell, like just the fucking cutest millions of views on YouTube status, like cute, uh... They killed whole villages of people because they were unable to control their bloodlust. So eventually, the Volturi, which is the vampire government, they're more like, they're kind of like vampire oligarchs, really. They're not like democratically elected. They stepped in and destroyed all the immortal children and their creators back in, I don't think a year is given, but... And now it's vampire illegal yeah. to change a child. I don't think they, I don't think they write these things down though. There's it's like an unwritten constitution. UK style. Yeah. By the way, y'all across the pond, that's fucking weird. <laughs> that night, Bella dreams of a beautiful immortal child surrounded by the Volturi who are closing in. She feels like she has to protect the child, but then she realizes to her horror that the boy is sitting on a pile of human bodies and that his eyes are bright red. So, spooky Halloween. The next day, Bella gets married. Yeah, it's nice. It's pretty fucking standard. She's nervous, but once she sees Edward, all is well. The minister at the wedding, at their request, has replaced till death do us part with as long as we both shall live. Who is this fucking minister? It's the same one that does Dumbledore's funeral. I'm fully convinced. (laughs) That is the crossover between these universes, is this goddamn minister who is just out here performing really standard issue Christian ceremonies for magical beings. I mean, yeah, his name's like Mr. Weber or something like that. He's the Dumbledore minister. Fully convinced. (laughs) That's your headcanon? That's my headcanon. I just like... So they're having this meeting with the minister, and they're like, can you take out any references to death? And he's like, huh, you all are also really weird looking. (laughs) After the reception, Edward pulls Bella aside, and uh, they hold the, by the way, they hold the wedding at the Cullen's, like, super nice modernist house. But Edward pulls Bella aside to show her something. They go off into the trees together where but 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 motherfucking jacob black is waiting he decided to show up to the wedding after all edward leaves bella and jacob alone so they can have a dance together jacob asks bella when she's going to be changed into a vampire bella says she wants to have a quote real honeymoon unquote first jacob freaks out because he thinks edward is literally going to fuck bella to death which is a decent hypothesis because he's a super strong vampire and uh he might lose control Bella says, it's really none of your business, Jacob. Jacob is about to lose his temper, but then Edward shows up. There's some fucking werewolf vampire tensions. Uh, Two other members of the Quileute tribe uh, break up Edward and Jacob, and uh, Jacob runs off into the night. The reception ends, and Bella says goodbye to her parents, maybe forever. I'll love you forever, Dad. Bella says to Charlie, because she might be becoming a vampire soon and might never see her parents again. They don't know that. Edward and Bella head off to their secret honeymoon destination, but as they drive away, Bella hears a wolf howling in anguish to the night. Bella and Edward have 
their honeymoon on a private island off of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil that Carlisle and Esme own, and it's called Isle Esme. It has, among other things, an extensive DVD collection. <laughs> Which is, like, referenced once or twice, just how many fucking DVDs they own. Again, with the Stephanie Meyer exquisite details. I mean, it just, Carla and Esme are, like, classy, right? But there's just something about DVDs that... I mean, they like to watch movies. I'm, yeah. That's it's probably... Like they're ma- going to have them on, like, reel-to-reel film. <laughs> I don't know. DVDs just... are the technology of the day. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Something about DVDs. Actually, the invention of DVDs would probably be awesome for Carlisle, who, like, grew up in fucking Tudor England. He's like, hell yeah. I don't have to, like, read Chaucer solely anymore. (laughs) Or whatever. So we finally get to the part we've all been waiting for. Edward and Bella finally do the monster mash. (laughs) And they catch on in a flash. It's a graveyard smash. Bella's super nervous at first because she's still a virgin, and so is Edward, based on everything we know, unless he's lying. They kind of ease into it. They both go for a naked swim, which is, I don't know, it's sort of romantic. We don't actually get many details, though. They go to bed, end scene. Bella wakes up covered in feathers because Edward, in the act of making love, has shredded all the pillows because he loses control. Bella is stoked, though. She's lying in bed. She feels fucking amazing. She notes that everything went perfectly, contrary to her fears. Quote, we fit together like corresponding pieces made to match up. Unquote. That's just kind of how it works, though, Bella. Like, that... Yeah. Unless he had like a weird corkscrew penis. Like a duck. Like a duck. (laughs) You know? So, I mean, she didn't know. Vampires are fucking weird. But that all worked. Edward is being super shifty and weird, though. He keeps apologizing. And that's because Bella is covered in bruises from the rough sex. Uh, Or not even that rough. He's just like, it's like fucking a statue. He just has a strong grip. Yeah. So... Edward keeps apologizing. He says he can't live with himself. Bella says it's fine. Also, we should keep doing it again and again and again. But Edward is fucking bereft and makes her eggs and bacon from a recipe he learned on the Food Network. That is called out specifically that Edward learned how to cook from the Food Network. Edward reveals that he asked Carlisle and his brothers what sex was like and if it would work before, you know, they got down to it. His brothers basically said, yeah, the only thing better than sex is drinking human blood. Edward says, I will not make love with you until you've been changed. I will never hurt you again. So Bella spends the rest of her honeymoon trying to get into Edward's pants, for example, by suggesting they watch... Some of those DVDs. Bella wants to Netflix and chill. Yeah. pre. I guess it could still be Netflix. Just like the little Netflix pouches and the DVDs. I mean, the next the Netflix like DVD pouches. Remember those? I do. Yeah, I my grandmother can, loved them. You can still get those, I, I think. I think so too. Anyway. So Bella wants to Netflix and chill. Probably emphasis on chill since Edward's so fucking cold. Ha ha. Uh, but Edward keeps her busy with constant hiking trips and swimming expeditions. And in the movie, they play a lot of chess. 
Yeah, which is weird <laughs> and boring. Bella has more spooky dreams, but she also has a sexy dream about sexing with Edward. When she wakes up, she pleads with Edward to do it. And finally, Edward gives in. It works this time, but Edward destroys the bed frame in the process because he has superhuman strength. Bella proposes that she stay human a little while longer because she really likes this whole having sex thing. And she's afraid that sex won't be as pleasurable once she's a vampire and is only thinking about drinking human blood. So she suggests that she actually go to Dartmouth, which was their whole cover story. Although Edward actually got her into Dartmouth, I think through a Operation Varsity Blues style donation. Yeah, Edward and Felicity Huffman should be in prison together. (laughs) Edward is thrilled at this suggestion, though, because he didn't want Bella to become a vampire right away the fucking house cleaners show up which is another great detail they're important they're actually important they have a very major role in the plot later on they are um again very important but there's a lot of details about how edward's like oh i guess we better like get out of the way for the house cleaners so they like fucking watch a dvd they watch a musical i want i want to know what musical this is meet me in st louis you think it's that one no In my mind, it was The Sound of Music. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Maybe they watch Oklahoma. The Oklahoma that fucks. People say we're in love. Um, Also, one of the cleaners, Cora, suspects that Edward is a vampire. Edward knows this because he can read minds. Edward fits into all their legends. She's like kind of described as indigenous. So there's some kind of, what's the word? Exoticizing. Yeah, so there's some exoticizing of uh cora here she has ancient like wisdom wisdom edward goes off hunting because he hasn't drank blood in a while well edward's gone bella makes herself some chicken but she immediately feels sick she assumes that the chicken has just gone rancid but when she wakes up in the morning and edward is back she's still nauseous and she feels a small bump in her stomach she then realizes that she is several days late for her period and the bump nudges her. So what the fuck? That happened fast. Bella wonders to herself if it's possible for vampires to father children. She thinks it might be because Charlie Chaplin, when it was in his 70s, when he fathered a child. Is that literally what she thinks? Yeah. I forgot about that detail. She has this like, she like really knows Charlie Chaplin's like biography. Basically, her theory is that vampires basically, like, freeze in their development and their body's ability to, like, change when they're changed. Women, in order to be pregnant, have to have the capacity for their bodies to grow and change. But men don't because men just have semen, I guess. And they don't have to, like, have any physiological changes happen in order to be biological parents. I don't know if that holds up, but that's her idea. This all seems very woolly, but anyway... Edward's sister Alice calls. She's very worried because Alice can see the future and she senses that something has happened. Bella talks to Carlisle. She tells Carlisle she thinks she's pregnant. Carlisle tells her to come home right away. Edward packs furiously. He seems super pissed. Bella, however, is overjoyed, imagining holding a little baby Edward in her arms. She realizes, although she never wanted a baby, she now desperately does. It's not a choice, she thinks to herself. It's a necessity. So there's some politics. (laughs) 
Edward promises her that Carlisle will get that, quote, thing out of you. Don't be scared, he says. I won't let it hurt you. Bella is horrified that Edward would call the child a thing. The housekeepers then return. Cora sees Bella and berates Edward in Portuguese, which Edward speaks because he knows like every language because vampires never sleep. So they have plenty of time to take Duolingo lessons or Rosetta Stone or whatever. Also, Edward spent a whole bunch of time in Rio in New Moon when he was, like, avoiding Bella. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. Rio is, like, his spot. Yeah, he, like, knows his way around. Uh, he also picks it for their honeymoon because it's super hot and he knew they would be fucking. And he's really cold. I mean, that's thoughtful. Yeah, that's nice. Oh, God, I just remembered another detail. What? Another really fucking sexy detail. The yeah. The bed is described as covered in mosquito netting. Oh, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> Nothing hotter than not getting malaria. (laughs) If you think about it, Edward's just kind of like a giant mosquito. Ugh. Yeah. He drinks blood. He can't give you malaria, though. That's not all that makes a mosquito a mosquito. That's like their salient feature, though. Malaria is their salient feature. They're disease vectors. Yeah, because they drink blood. Okay, well, I don't think... Edward is also a disease vector. Actually, he I wonder. the vampire venom. But the thing about it is, like, all their victims die, so it can't be contagious. There's no, like, contagion possible. I don't... You can't pass malaria from person to person. That's all mosquito-driven. Right, but... Oh, never mind. No, that was a bad argument. No, this, you're right. This is a metaphor. Vampires are mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> True. And it's ironic that the bed is covered in mosquito netting. I do not think Stephanie Meyer thought that deeply about because, it. Because a blood drinker still gets into the netting, Ooh. and its name is Edward Cullen. Very good analysis, my love. Also, you should Edward... write a dissertation about Edward as a mosquito. <laughs> when Edward destroys the bed, all the mosquito netting must come down. So in addition to being covered in bruises, Bella's also probably covered in mosquito bites. And maybe malaria. And maybe malaria. There's like a vaccine for that now, though, right? Maybe not. It's not a vaccine, but you it's can, something. You, like, you can take, take like, anti-malarial medication before you travel. But Edward made no preparations for this trip other than like letting Alice pack her lingerie. Oh, yeah. So I don't think Bella has been taking her anti-malarial medication. Alice packs a bunch of like super sexy like Fredericks of Hollywood like garments for I Bella. I think it's probably nicer than Fredericks. Nicer than Fredericks? I don't it's know. like La Perla probably. Okay. I don't even know what that is. That's because you didn't read Gossip Girl. I learned everything I know about high-end sexy lingerie from Blair Waldorf in the Gossip Girl novels. Well, anyway, I feel like I'm not getting across the true weirdness of Bella suddenly being pregnant and, like, visibly showing within, like, one or two days. But that is what's happening. uh, Because we're not dealing with a normal fucking baby here, folks. Yeah. Spoiler alert. This baby's weird. Yeah. Anyway, the housekeeper, Cora, berates Edward. Edward interrogates Cora, probably about her people's vampire legends. Cora approaches Bella and puts her hand on her stomach and says one word, morte, which means death. Did you learn that from Duolingo? Well, I just, you know, that's like a common, that's like a cognate. I'm kidding. (laughs) Has Duolingo taught you how to say death yet? No, Duo hasn't. (laughs) Duo probably will if I miss a fucking lesson, though. (laughs) While Edward is busying himself, Bella calls Rosalie, who she's never called before, Edward's other sister, who never wanted to become a vampire because she desperately wanted children, we learned last book. Bella says, 
Rosalie, you have to help me. And that's what happens in the end of book one. But we have one more fucking book to get through, folks. Book two is told from Jacob's perspective. So Stephanie Meyer is really setting off some literary fireworks here. To be fair, she actually does a fairly good job of differentiating these voices. I was moderately impressed with her Jacob voice storytelling. Yeah, I think so too. No, no shade. A little shade, but... She's trying new things. Yeah, getting bold. The preface for this book is two sentences. The ep- There's an epigraph. Life sucks and then you die. And then one sentence. Yeah, I should be so lucky. So Jacob's got an attitude. He's not here for your bullshit. I actually kind of enjoy Jacob's like teen wolf voice. Yes. All the chapter titles for Bella are one word. They're like surprises, unexpected, longing. Jacob has full sentence long, like, mouthy chapter titles. The first chapter is called, Waiting for the Damn Fight to Start Already. And the next chapter is <laughs> called, Sure as Hell Didn't See That One Coming. <laughs> I'm delighted by that. Every chapter is like, Geez, some people never learn. I love it. I think it's very funny. I'd rather be watching the Mariners game. That's not actually a chapter, but it could be. I wonder if it's meant to be funny because it's very funny. It's hilarious. So we are now in Jacob's perspective. Jacob hears that Bella is back from her honeymoon, but that she hasn't seen anyone because she's sick. Jacob has always suspected that the Cullens would come up with some kind of cover story that would explain why Bella has disappeared forever because she's now a vampire. He presses Sam, who's the leader of the pack, to attack the Cullens for breaking the treaty the Quileute tribe, which are these werewolves, their treaty with the Cullens stipulates that the Cullens will never create another vampire. It just made me want to sing, leader of the pack, vroom, vroom. That's basically what book two is, including <laughs> the motorcycle sounds. Yep. A lot of driving around being real moody on a motorcycle. Leader of the pack. Sam, however, says it's not the right time to attack the Cullens. He wants to wait until there is more evidence. So he's slow rolling this whole thing. Sam's like, before we attack the Cullens, we have to open a formal inquiry. Oh my God. But we're not going to vote on it. um, Because Sam's the alpha. Jacob goes to First Beach on the reservation to clear his head, where he runs into Quill, who is babysitting Claire who is three years old. Quill is a teenager. He's a teen werewolf. And he imprinted on Claire in, was it the last book? Yeah. Quill imprinted on Claire. Can you explain imprinting again real quick? Imprinting is like falling in love, but extra. You sort of have no choice but to devote your life to loving and pleasing and protecting the object of your imprint. And you have no choice over it. It's right. like, yeah. So anyway. It's like a like a force of the universe. So let me reiterate. Quill, who is a young man, is babysitting <laughs> this little girl, Claire, who he's like fated to marry. Like obsessively in love with. Yeah. This is a book full of very upsetting scenes. This is the most upsetting scene. Bar none. Quill playing in the waves with the three-year-old object of his obsessive affection. Who he is betrothed to, essentially. It's it's yucky. Oh boy. (laughs) It's really yucky. 
Uh, anyway, I can't think about that too much. But uh, Jacob goes to confront the Cullens. He's determined to kill as many as he can before they take him down. Uh, but there he finds Bella, who is still human and looking seriously the worst for wear. Her stomach is all blackened from where she's being beaten from the inside by the creature that she's carrying. So Jacob learns that Bella isn't dead. She's pregnant. And Rosalie is acting as Bella's bodyguard and is basically preventing Carlisle from performing an abortion on Bella against her will. No, Carlisle said he wouldn't do it against her will. Right, later. No, here. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, Rosalie's afraid that they're going to pull a fast one. Right. Even though Carlisle's not going to do that. Carlisle would never do that. Yeah. Carlisle is the only trustworthy character in this entire saga. So anyway, Edward tries to convince Jacob to convince Bella to terminate the pregnancy and have a baby instead with Jacob, if a baby's what she really wants, so... So gross! <laughs> There's a bit of an indecent proposal there that even Jacob is kind of, like, weirded out by. But he says, you know what, I'll, I'll try. Because, obviously, he wants Bella to live. Edward promises Jacob that if Bella dies, he can kill Edward. Because Edward is very fucking dramatic at all times. Jacob obviously is unable to convince Bella to do any of this. She's convinced that she can hold on long enough to deliver the child and then have the Cullens change her into a vampire at the last minute as she's dying, which is what Carlisle did with Esme and Edward. Jacob is distraught. He resolves to quit Bella cold turkey and he goes back to his pack Werewolves also can read each other's mind, so the pack is horrified to learn about this monster baby. They say it's an abomination, it's unnatural, and, like, God knows what it's going to do after it's born. So they decide to destroy it and Bella, even though she's a human, which kind of violates, like, the unwritten werewolf constitution. Even though Jacob was initially on board with attacking the Cullens, he then rebels against Sam's leadership because he's aghast at the idea of killing Bella, and he leaves to go warn the Cullens. There's this whole, like, psychic, like, wolf battle where they kind of vie for leadership of the pack or something. It's very confusing, but basically Jacob secedes from Sam's pack, and, uh... He realizes after he does that that the voices of the other wolves has gone silent. So he's no longer in the pack. Soon he's joined by Seth Clearwater. He's a member of the tribe. He's buds with Edward and he also really likes Carlisle because Carlisle's dope. Seth asks if he can join Jacob in a new pack. Jacob hates the idea. He's more of a lone wolf, if you know what I mean. But Seth is persistent, and they have become, like, psychically linked. So a new pack has started, and it is soon also joined by Leah Clearwater, who is Seth's older sister. She wants to both protect her brother and also get away from Sam, her ex-boyfriend, because she's tired of sharing his thoughts. Sam dumped her after he imprinted on another woman. So Jacob's new renegade pack starts running patrols to protect the Cullens. Meanwhile, Bella is getting worse. Carlisle tells Jacob that he's been doing some science and that he's figured out that vampires and humans are probably more genetically similar than he thought. 
Uh, he tells Jacob that he has to respect Bella's decision to carry the baby to term. Also, the baby is rejecting nutrition and feeding on Bella's body. They don't know what the baby wants. Also, they can't see it with a sonogram. It's just like a dark space because whatever is like surrounding the baby is like made of vampire skin or something that's like impenetrable. Uh, the fucking, what is that? The amniotic sac. Uh, Jacob thinks to himself that it probably wants human blood instead of food. Edward overhears Jacob's thoughts and they suggest that Bella start drinking but 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 motherfucking human blood. Like with her mouth. Which they have stockpiled in case she needs a transfusion. Instead of giving her blood transfusion, they give her a fucking sippy cup full of human blood yeah this just keeps getting worse y'all so bella starts drinking blood from a straw to feed the baby and it tastes good to her so that's disgusting i don't there's some more fucking werewolf politics we won't even get into that bella's condition improves under her new uh diet Edward gives Jacob some clothes because he hasn't been going home. The baby starts breaking Bella's ribs. So that's intense. We also learn that Alice can't see the baby's future just like she can't see Jacob. Jacob continues to struggle with his feelings for Bella. Bella always wants him around and says that when he's around, it feels like her family is complete. But Jacob feels like that's fucking with his emotions. This Uh stretch is really boring. I forgot. There's not... It's... A lot more happens in this book, but then it kind of becomes this, like, hospital waiting room drama. Yeah. It's just multiple scenes of, like, Jacob, like, eating food while he's waiting for this baby to be delivered. Yeah, it's the experience of being in a waiting room. The whole, like, midsection of this book. For, like, 50 pages. Yeah. It's awful. Uh, and... Yeah, so let's just fast forward, I think. Yes, You know, please. there's, like, I've got some fucking notes here. Ugh. At some point, Edward hears the baby's thoughts for the first time. The baby feels happy. It loves Bella. That's nice. Bella says that if it's a boy, she wants to name it Edward Jacob. But if it's a girl, she wants to name it Renesme, which is a combination of Renee, her mother, and Esme, Edward's mother. Edward completely changes his mind about the baby after he hears its thoughts for the first time. Edward is now, like, totally enamored with the idea of... I guess being a father, Edward is totally enamored with the baby and, like, does a 180. Jacob is horrified that Edward now loves the creature that's killing Bella. Edward, sensing Jacob's pain and being empathetic towards it, tosses him the keys to one of the Cullen's fancy cars and tells him to go for a drive. Jacob drives an Aston Martin to Seattle where he starts cruising the park where he, like, parks at a public park and starts like looking at like every woman that passes him hoping desperately that he'll imprint on someone and stop thinking about Bella. He has a kind of flirty conversation with the woman there, but it's still not doing it for him. Eventually he goes back to the house. Edward asks Jacob if as the rightful heir to Ephraim Black, he will waive the treaty that the Quillutes forged with the Cullens decades ago in order to change Bella into a vampire without, like, triggering a vampire-werewolf war. Jacob reluctantly agrees, even though he says it's the last thing he has to give. 
As Bella gets up to go to the bathroom, she suddenly drops her cup of blood, which spills, and she lets out a blood-curdling scream. The birth has begun. It's like a fucking scene from Alien. There's a wild thrashing in the center of her stomach. Also, Carlisle has gone hunting, so the doctor is not in. The placenta, they think has detached inside her body and the baby is dying bella screams to get the baby out of her so they move her to the impromptu emergency room and basically edward rosalie and jacob just like wing it they do an impromptu cesarean section bella is like vomiting blood the vessels in her eyes burst from the screaming Edward shoots her full of morphine. Rosalie says there's no time to let the morphine spread. Grabs a scalpel and fucking rips Bella's stomach open. Rosalie, who hasn't been eating while she guards Bella, is then overtaken by bloodlust. Jacob tackles her, though, before she's able to drink all the fucking blood. I mean, there's a lot of blood everywhere. You'd think she could just, like... Lap some up You know, like, fucking fill a shot glass with it or something. I don't know. Maybe it has to be, like, from the veins. Jacob comes back and starts performing CPR on Bella. The baby, meanwhile, snaps Bella's fucking spine in half. Edward delivers the baby. It's a girl, Renesme. Bella, still conscious somehow, gazes at the baby, who then bites her on the breast. Bella's heart stops as Jacob futilely continues compressions. Rosalie, recovered, takes the baby. Edward then injects Bella's heart with a syringe full of his vampire venom. Then he starts biting her all over, and the venom starts sealing her wounds. Jacob then leaves, thinking Bella is doomed, realizing that now that she's just a corpse, he feels no need to be here near her. Jacob feels bereft and without purpose now that Bella is dead. Downstairs, Rosalie is busy feeding the baby blood, I guess from a baby bottle. Jacob is filled with hatred, realizing that Sam was right and they should have destroyed the baby all along. He then resolves to destroy the creature himself, but just as he is about to pounce, the baby looks at him over Rosalie's shoulders. Its gaze is strangely focused, and it has brown eyes just like Bella's and a beating heart. Suddenly, Jacob feels completely unmoored from everything in his life, his previous bonds cut away, replaced by a million steel cables anchoring him to his new center of the universe, Renezme. So Jacob has ba 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 motherfucking imprinted on a newborn baby who he loves. Upstairs, he hears the sound of Bella's once more beating and changing heart. And that's what happens in the first two books of Twilight, colon, Breaking Dawn. Well, if nothing else, now you know what happens in Twilight. If you were always curious, but didn't want to go, like, I don't know, fucking read the Wikipedia page. Well, you know what happens in the first half of this book. It's going to get weirder. I don't know how that's possible. Uh, It doesn't actually get weirder. It gets different weird. (laughs) All right. I guess we should start with, like, our overall impressions of this book so far. I feel like it's better than the middle two. Yes. I think... The writing quality has substantially improved. Yeah, it's like she got a coach or something. There's better pacing. Um, you know, I kind of dunked on some of the weird extraneous details like the fucking Pop-Tarts or whatever. And the mosquito netting. 
<laughs> but it has a more natural cadence than the other books. It's better paced, definitely. I think it's the best paced of all the books so far because we sort of have more my like narrative milestones that are that keep the plot going we just break new narrative ground because the most annoying conflict is solved the will edward like kill bella like the will they won't they although we always know that they will uh and we can sort of like move forward it's less of these long torturous conversations about like the status of their relationship yeah, and we've also basically resolved the love triangle. Like, Jacob still has some sort of lingering emotions around it, but there's no question about whether Team Edward or Team Jacob will win out. A lot of the things that make these books really popular, but that I find exhausting and irritating, <laughs> are done with, which is great. And the other thing is, we've talked about this in all the other books, I actually think she's way better at the sort of fantasy horror elements of these books than the kind of emotional realism. So the fact that so much of this one is taken up with vampire matters as opposed to conversations on the beach about their feelings is really satisfying. I have to tell you, I think that I almost entirely unironically loved this book. Yeah? I mean... Love is a strong word, and I continue not to think that they're very well written and their messages are fucked, but I was, like, I couldn't stop reading. Are you saying you had no choice? Yeah, I imprinted on this you book. You imprinted on this book. <laughs> um, kind of, though. Like, I almost missed my subway stop multiple times. I was, like, reading as I went up the escalator, like, from the two train to work. I was, like, reading as I walked. It was crazy. Like, I was sort of obsessed. So you read, I listen on audiobook. So you get to listen all the time. But I have to put it on, like, 1.5 speed. Yeah, the narration is torturously slow. Highly slow, as she savors Stephanie Meyer's luscious, improved and luscious prose. I think I liked it, if only because there's more narrative tent poles spaced throughout the book. Like, we have the wedding i don't know if that's like exciting but yeah i mean it's kind of exciting we've it's been waiting something for, yeah we've been waiting for bell and edward to like get fucking married then they do it that's resolves a lot of like literal sexual tension that's been building up then like the fucking pregnancy is shocking and it kind of segues into this whole body horror sequence and the climax with the birth and Jacob's printing is genuinely exciting. So, you know, like stuff actually fucking happens. There's a lot of like sitting around in waiting rooms, but I would say more happens in the first half of this book than in the first half of like, say, New Moon, where base Bella basically just has like seasonal affective disorder. More happens in the first half of this book than in the middle two books combined. <laughs> In which there's sort of one battle-ish scene each. It's still rife with logistics oh, in a yeah. way that is so disorienting about these books. Because so many things that any other author would describe in one sentence in order to like let the reader off the hook, we witness in real time. Yeah, like Edward dealing with the cleaning people. 
or giving them like realistic like instructions about like what needs to go out you know like ah, this feathers everywhere maybe you should bag those up the cleaning people are important i more what i mean is like we watch seth clearwater eat and sleep for whole pages yeah like the werewolves going on patrol, like them switching patrol. There's so many shift changes. It's just, and it's all like basically in real time. Like we stay with Seth Clearwater for the entire time it would take a real human in real life to eat a cinnamon roll. As <laughs> oh, she yeah, describes cinnamon rolls. Seth Clearwater eating a cinnamon roll. It's, I mean, it's a hallmark of these books that things happen basically in real time. Does Esme make the cinnamon rolls or yes. Jake or Edward? Ed, Ed, Esme does. Wow. I mean. They sounded delicious. They sound delicious. I don't know how vampires know how to make a good cinnamon roll, but. Food Network. Yeah, the Food Network. Let's talk about Bella's choices once again, because girl makes bad choices. Over and over and over and over she makes bad choices. Her fear of getting married is so deranged compared to all of the things that she has decided to do that she doesn't fear. It's just so bizarre that she almost faints walking down the aisle. She's so freaked out. But meanwhile is like, yes, definitely stop my heart with venom and then bring me back to life as an eternal monster. So I'm going to stick up for the Bella right here. In the last book, I felt that way. But now I think it's more her fear of attention. I It's like guess. less the weirdness around the institution of marriage, which was sort of emphasized in the last book. And this one, it's more Bella hates like having all that focus on her. I Okay. But the... Depth of that yeah. phobia is bizarre. But it's also resolved by her seeing Edward for at the altar or That's whatever. That's true. She's like, oh, everything's beautiful and fine. And then they make out hard and everybody gets really uncomfortable <laughs> because they kiss for like five minutes after the minister like says they can. And everyone's like, this is very unchill. The scene where she says goodbye to Renee and Charlie... Again, it's so much more fucked up than I feel like Stephanie Meyer acknowledges. Yeah. She is saying goodbye to her parents forever. As far as she knows. Like, she's pretty sure. Although she sort of backpedals on that later. Okay, this is fucking morbid. But, like, even people planning to kill themselves do a little more preparation than this. There's all these things you're, like, supposed to be on the lookout for people, like, giving their possessions away or, like having like long conversations that seem like they're wrapping things up with people in their lives like she does know she barely talks to them all night she spends all her time like yelling at Jacob about her sex life (laughs) like she literally barely talks to her parents at this wedding and I mean I guess like teenagers are selfish but this is I don't understand how you can possibly find this character sympathetic based on how she treats her mom and dad. This is monstrous treatment. I mean, she's also just a teen, No, teens can be moral. I fucking believe in teenagers. Teenagers can have loving and moral relationships with their parents. (laughs) Like, I remember what it was like to be a teen, and sure, I had conflict with my parents, but this would be absolutely fucking wrenching even if I was 18 years old right she doesn't like hang out with them she does say that she spends as much time with Renee as possible during the kind of wedding prep she spends all her time with Alice yeah well 
All right, maybe this is indefensible. I think this is totally indefensible. Maybe she's trying to play it cool so that nobody suspects anything. I mean, I guess all of that is possible, but to me, her blinding selfishness is completely unmatched and immoral. Yeah, as a character, she does feel profoundly disconnected from everyone except Edward, who she has this In a obsession way that's with. deranged. Yeah. It's not romantic. No. It's lunacy. I actually, you know what, actually, she has a pretty believable connection with Jacob. I guess, but even then, like, fucking respect your elders. Like, talk to your dad. Oh my god. She does sort of get her like mini cold feet on the honeymoon before she gets pregnant but that has nothing to do with wanting to see her parents again that's just she realizes that she and Edward can like fuck and fuck and she's like oh it turns out I was just horny and now that we've like done the deed I have no real urgency around being transformed because this is actually (laughs) all Bella cared about (laughs) like Bella just wanted that D frankly that Dracula ha ha Certainly don't want to shame Bella for like a totally rational desire. I don't think desiring Edward is rational, but being having like really high libido for a 17 or 18 year old, fine. But the fact that all that was standing between Bella and making a decision to functionally end her human life was like satiating her sexual appetites is a little extra. On that note, let's talk about the sex in this book. We've been waiting for this for a long time. It's been excruciating. And after all of that, not that hot. Payoff, yeah, not quite there. I don't think it's that I didn't find it sexy at all. I mean, maybe this is actually just sort of the function of sexual desire in general. Anticipation and tension, at least narratively, always more interesting than having one's desires met and satiated. So the first book is really hot. Like frankly, there are a lot of scenes in the first Twilight book that are incredibly sexy. And the first movie is painfully sexy. I think a lot of people don't agree with me on that, but they have genuine chemistry. Yeah, there's some this heat there. There's a lot of, I mean, even like there's a couple places where she just bites her lip in the first movie and you're like, damn, there's a <laughs> lot happening here. And I feel like kind of the apotheosis of desire is always more boring than sort of its early blushes of desire. But yeah, I didn't find this particularly titillating. I think I would have found it more so if I was still, if I was like a 17 year old reader, not even 17, if I was like 15 and I'd never read a sex scene before. It's not that I wanted it to be more explicit. I just think that she did a really good job early on of building tension and there's not a lot of tension here. Yeah. Also, Edward was way sexier early on. Now I'm sort of repulsed by him (laughs) as... The mystery's gone. Not even the mystery, but the more we get to know Edward's sort of like corporeal being, like the more we learn about his body, the more I'm like, ugh. (laughs) This sounds disgusting. His breath smells great. Sure. That is is remarked upon multiple times. How amazing his breath smells. We've talked about that so many times, but it remains gross. Yeah. But I mean... Okay, to get a little X-rated here, like, what does his penis feel like? Like, is it like having sex with, like, a marble or like a, cock? Like an ice cube? Like... Like a big ice like shaft? Like an icicle. Like a, 
I mean, I'm just trying to imagine in what universe sex with the way Edward is described, Edward's body, it's not pliable. It's, I mean, like, I'm sorry, like, who wants to fuck a statue? That's deranged. Nothing about how Edward's body is described makes it seem remotely interesting to have sex with him. So you don't get turned on when you go to, like, the ancient Greek section of the Met? I mean, as beautiful as, like, the David is, like, do I want to literally have sex with it? No. (laughs) I'm not one of those people that's, like, in love with the Eiffel Tower or whatever the fuck. Like, not to kink shame Bella, but the idea that this is a normal sexual desire is just not speaking to me. I just, I can't imagine Edward being genuinely sexy. Also, that is underscored by his reaction when they have minorly rough sex. Bella doesn't seem like she's all that fucked up from this. Like, she's yeah, got bruises. she's got a few bruises because Edward is, like, made of fucking stone. But Edward's level of freakout is so unsexy. His eyes closed. Stop that. Stop what? Stop acting like I'm not a monster for having agreed to this. Edward, I whispered, really upset now. He was pulling my bright memory through the darkness, staining it. Don't ever say that. He didn't open his eyes. It was like he didn't want to see me. Look at yourself, Bella. Then tell me I'm not a monster. Wounded, shocked, I followed his instruction unthinkingly and then gasped. What had happened to me? I couldn't make sense of the fluffy white snow that clung to my skin. I shook my head and a cascade of white drifted out of my hair. I pinched one soft white bit between my fingers. It was a piece of down. Why am I covered in feathers? I asked, confused. He exhaled impatiently. I bit a pillow, or two. That's not what I'm talking about. You bit a pillow? Why? It's just like, oh my god, chill. Well, she sort of remarks on that. She says, you're killing my buzz here. So I think I think what makes this also not sexy, this is a thought I just had, I think what also takes some of the sexiness out of this is there's no longer anything even slightly transgressive or titillating about this. It's just sex within the bonds of marriage. <laughs> You know, like they're not, it's not a forbidden love anymore. Uh, It's still hugely forbidden. He's a monster. Yeah, I know. But like, we've sort of been attenuated to that. That's true. Right? I don't think it's the lack. No, I don't think it's the lack of transgression. I honestly think it's how much Edward fucking sucks. (laughs) Edward is terrible. And Stephanie Meyer has taken a perfectly compelling and interesting sort of first book romantic hero and systematically destroyed any sex appeal he had. <laughs> he is, I would much rather have her have sex with Jacob, just in terms of the level of appealing that these characters are. That'd be way more exciting, and he's a lot warmer. It'd be literally hot. I mean, just, Jacob has, like, some figurative heat to him. Like, Jacob has some, like, kind of unresolved teenage feelings, and he would you know, Edward has to be, like, careful. Like, who wants to have sex with someone who's being careful? That's so weird. Well, careful I mean, you want someone that's being careful. Bella. Yeah, so but I mean. nice. But, like, 
in the course of being careful not to kill Bella, he's sort of like controlling his passions in a way that ruins what is interesting about a sex scene. Yeah. Like, we can't experience Edward's like abandon. He can't get too excited. He might. Yeah. Well, first of all, that has like really fucked up messages about men's sexuality, period. Like the idea that like if men are allowed to express like fully unbridled sexuality, like it will be inherently harmful is fucked up and toxic and not a useful sort of social message. But also it just means Edward is being sort of like literally kind of cold in bed. I don't know. What? No figuratively kind of cold in bed he's also literally cold in bed (laughs) it's also just like the fucking sexual politics in this book are so horrifying and they are horrifying throughout the series but bella is roundly punished for being a woman with desire yeah she finally gets to have sex which she wants to do that's fine that's a normal that's good that's a normal human desire she gets to have sex with her husband she wakes up completely covered in bruises He then spurns her repeatedly. She gets him to have sex one more time. And then she is like subjected to... Torture. Yeah, torture. Like a scouring of the body. So it's interesting because the first three books, when they're not married or whatever, the message is very much, sex could fucking kill you. And then she finally gets married. She has sex within like the bonds of holy matrimony. And the message is still... Ah, uh, if you have sex, you might fucking die horribly. Because it's not punishment for the in or out of marriage aspect of it. It's punishment for Bella's level of desire. Steffi Meyer is punishing her sort of unruly and untamed sexual appetite, which is very disturbing because, you know, I mean, it's the oldest story in the book. It's like women who openly desire sex are immoral and deserve punishment. Even though she's doing it the, like, air quotes, right way. But the thing about this worldview is that women can never experience sexuality the right way. Like, there's no way for a woman to be appropriately sexual in this moral universe. Yeah. So Bella plays by all the rules, but still the force of her desire dooms her. And he's, like, shaming her. Yeah. He, God, I fucking hate Edward. I hate him. <laughs> I hate him in this book. I am not team Jacob because at this point, like, Bella just, it doesn't make any sense with Jacob. Yeah, yeah. But, like, dump Edward. God, he's fucking horrible. Yeah. Yeah, his... He shames her deeply and makes her feel like it's her fault for, like, forcing him to hurt her. Yeah, that there's a lot to unpack there. Um... <laughs> How does Edward get an erection? Does Edward always have an erection? Because he's made of stone, basically. So, it's is it always hard? He doesn't have bodily fluids. Well, that clearly we know he of. does. No, he has semen because he gets her pregnant. Okay, but in another part of the book, during the wedding, it references that he looks like he would have tears in his eyes if such a thing were possible. Okay, but kind this... of suggesting that vampires don't have bodily fluids. There's but... venom. They have vampire venom. Is his This is, like, too much information here, guys, but is vampire semen just venom? No, because it has sperm in it. She gets pregnant. But also, wouldn't, like, does he not have saliva? Like, is she kissing, like, a dry stone mouth? (laughs) Like, he has a tongue. Like, is his tongue dry? 
Is there venom in his saliva? Or is that just in the fangs? I don't... I'm too hung Bella up on the venom. Get, Bella would get, like, sick. Yeah? If He must have saliva. Because she would mention if she was making out with, like, a dry-ass cave. Maybe he... <laughs> maybe he swishes out or something to, I, like... He doesn't have, we know he doesn't have tears. We know he doesn't have blood. Right. We know he doesn't have to breathe. But there's some kind of, there's some kind of ejaculate to Ugh, get. So, dry sorry. mouth. <laughs> Maybe it's not like wet. Also though, okay, clearly like she gets pregnant. So he does something in her. And is that cold? Just like a milkshake consistency. Ugh. God. It's sorry. horrible. I know. That's vile. Like, well, no, but that's the thing. When you actually think about the fucking mechanics of this sex it's disgusting (laughs) like not to yuck anyone's yum but freezing cold ejaculate is disgusting (laughs) don't yeah don't yuck her yum (laughs) i honestly if his breath smells good probably tastes good too oh they don't even do anything on vanilla that's the thing like bella doesn't even ask him to do anything other than i think like missionary style penetrative sex her desire doesn't even extend as far as like any kind of oral she's being very very vanilla she could have asked for that when he's like not really but his tongue is cold that's true his fucking tongue tongue is is cold ice cold that's horrible (laughs) and maybe dry We've now learned it's maybe like it's like a sandpaper. Like very, very, very cold, rough cloth. So like a like, cat's tongue. No, but but freezing. But freezing. A frozen cat. Like nuzzling or ugh. It's Boy. awful. Yeah. Vampire sex, man. It sounds horrible. Having sex with Edward sounds actually like a horror movie. I mean, Maybe, yeah, that's, if that's what she's into, man. But Clearly it is. she's certainly not portrayed as having, like, a kink. Like, it's portrayed as, like, very normal sex. And it's like, yes, but you've given us all these descriptions of this being that make this sex, like, <laughs> abnormal. <laughs> oh, my God. I want to, again, apologize to all of the relatives of ours that listen to this podcast. But I'm sorry, like, we can't not go here because... If you think about it for even 30 seconds, it's vile. Like, it's like, a, like oh my god, I can't go any further. But he's cold and dry. <laughs> like, very, very cold. So, do they have to, like, do they use lube? Maybe. I mean, I guess, like, she still has, like, human secretions. Ugh. Another great word. Yeah, well... I don't think we've used the word secretions on this podcast yet. Well, we've never had reason. We've never had to discuss something as That's truly... That's true. This is our first sex scene to discuss. This is our first sex wow. scene, and we're doing a horrible we making, job. Yeah, we're making a hash of we're it. We're making it... Ju- well, I'm sorry. This sex is awful. It's so upsetting to think about. Like, sex with Jacob would be so just, like, human being sex. Yeah. Just fuck Jacob. Also, he's got, like, nine abs. He's, like, crazy tall. He's hot as fuck. Literally and figuratively extremely hot. He's super into you. He can have normal-ass babies. Maybe. We think, yeah. yeah. we think. Well, Billy is, like, has werewolf blood. That's true. As far as we know, the werewolves can procreate completely normally and have babies that do not want to eat you or break your spine. (laughs) Just fuck Jacob. That's like a really weird idea that Edward has, but also kind of one of Edward's best ideas. 
So I know you talked about it as extraneous logistics, but I actually really like the cleaning lady scene because she is sort of a stand-in for any like normal reader or observer of this relationship being like, this is demonic and wrong. Please stop. I don't want to see this. <laughs> like, I'm really not interested in whatever this is. I, I like her and I agree with her and I appreciate her presence as sort of like an anchoring force of like, yuck. <laughs> and then she fucking gets pregnant and like, it just gets worse. Yo, how this pregnancy happens, I guess it will just forever be a mystery. No, there's no, there's no good explanation for it. I mean, unless it's like shooting like really cold air that has like sperm in it. Like so- maybe it's <laughs> fluid. So Edward discusses this with Carlisle in advance. No oh, yeah, one's ever I like that. check to see if anything comes out when vampires climax. I assume they climax. Like Edward's never uh, experimented in self love before. It seems like no, because Edward is incredibly He's repressed. repressed. Yeah. So Edward is. Uh, boy, I'm surprised the wedding night went as well as it did. Frankly. I'm surprised he could get it up. He clearly has like some very warped sort of like feelings toward his own sexuality. Well, mostly I was thinking. Like they need a sex therapist. How did this last more than like 30 seconds? He's been holding that in for 100 years. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. You know, maybe it was just like, maybe there were multiple rounds of it. Or was it just so blissful that to Bella, the 30 seconds were like the whole night? It seems long-lasting to me. Yeah. I mean, he's a vampire. Like, I don't know. He's like... That's true. He has superhuman abilities. So maybe he's just also a superhuman lover. Well, I don't... Ugh. Boy, are people going to hate this episode? This It's a raunchy. Is... It's a raunchy episode. Well, there's, there is human vampire sex throughout this book. I'm sorry. We couldn't not talk about what that is. <laughs> this is an adult podcast and we go we delve into what the actual functional details of things are and in this case i need to know what it is he is working with well whatever it is quite potent because because she gets pregnant in five seconds and then the baby grows in five days into a monster inside of her trying to kill her with the pregnancy, this book becomes more what I've just been wanting to read the entire time, which is Dr. Carlisle Cullen solving supernatural medical mysteries. What is that thing doing to her? I whispered. She was so much worse last night. I saw the tubes and all that through the window. The fetus isn't compatible with her body. Too strong, for one thing. But she could probably endure that for a while. The bigger problem is that it won't allow her to get the sustenance she needs. Her body is rejecting every form of nutrition. I'm trying to feed her intravenously, but she's just not absorbing it. Everything about her condition is accelerated. I'm watching her, and not just her, but the fetus as well, starve to death by the hour. I can't stop it, and I can't slow it down. I can't figure out what it wants. His weary voice broke at the end. I felt the same way I had yesterday, when I'd seen the black stains across her stomach, furious and a little crazy. I clenched my hands into fists to control the shaking. I hated the thing that was hurting her. 
It wasn't enough for the monster to beat her from the inside out. No, it was starving her too. Probably just looking for something to sink its teeth into, a throat to suck dry. Since it wasn't big enough to kill anyone else yet, it settled for sucking Bella's life from her. I could tell them exactly what it wanted. Death and blood. Blood and death. Honestly, that's what this whole series should be, and we can totally dispense with these fucking teenagers. I like that one of the main reasons some of the werewolves are torn about taking out the Cullens is that they all think Carlisle is just, like, pretty cool and legit. Yeah, well, he's a good vampire. He's a good dude. And a good doctor. And a really good doctor, and I like that he is sort of, like, jabbering about all this, like, chromosomal, like, pseudoscience. Yeah, it's sort of, it's sort of got, like, Star Trek vibes. It kind of does. Also, I mean, Carlisle is a really moral and caring physician. I really, I, Carlisle and Charlie are the only characters I admire in these books, even a little. And honestly, as father figures in literature go, like, you could do worse. The fact that he has all this blood on hand and, like, isn't drinking it, he's a lot of restraint. He has bags and bags and bags of blood that he's planning to give a transfusion of, and he has, like, this insatiable bloodlust that he's like, no, I'm chill. Well, that's like his superpower. Kind of, but- It's his restraint. I mean, it's still chill as hell. Yeah. I don't understand. Okay, Carlisle can secure all this blood. Why don't they just drink donated human blood that hasn't murdered a human? I think Carlisle would find that immoral because that blood is supposed to go towards saving human lives. Not just saving vampire lives? Well, no, because they can live without it. Right. I think Carlisle is very moral and knows that that blood is meant for medical purposes. That is some bioethics, Dr. Cullen. He is the picture of bioethics, weirdly. Except that he creates vampires without asking them. Yeah, that's true. In the case true. of Esme and Edward. That is, and Rosalie, right? Oh, and right? Rosalie too, yeah. And Rosalie resents him for it. That's true. There's some biomedical ethical issues there, but other than that, he's a really good dude. A thing that I really do like about this pregnancy, actually, is that in the course of sort of the, like, horror movie elements of it, you actually do get kind of a cool sort of mirroring of the ways in which just, like, normal human pregnancy, while often deeply desired and, and beautiful in a lot of ways, is also alien and kind of horrifying it's an extreme experience based on everything i understand obviously i have no experience with the physical aspect of it is an extreme experience i just learned from a colleague this week that all her teeth shifted in her mouth because of the relaxant hormones that your body generates now she's like thinking about whether she should get like invisalign because pregnancy shifted the fucking teeth in her mouth like it's an extreme experience your feet change it's your body wild. changes permanently yeah. I, like a lot of women their hair texture changes and never goes back i mean which is like the least extreme version but things happen to you permanently and i do think a thing that Stephanie Meyer does really well is I think a lot of birth and motherhood narratives are very romanticized and but there is a body horror aspect of pregnancy and yeah I've actually I've never been pregnant either I'm not a mother so I would be interested in sort of thoughts and feedback from people who have gone through this process about the ways in which it is or isn't sort of hard on your body but 
narratives I've read about it say that you feel like you're dying in labor a lot of the time. Like it feels really, really, really extreme and there is an element of horror to it. So I do think that rendering this kind of extreme supernatural pregnancy the way she does gives us an interesting window into what the bodies of pregnant people experience and we don't get a lot of that narration in literature. Like I've read good depictions of childbirth but to me this being in a YA book and being by you know someone who we know is pretty sexually conservative there is something sort of gratifying about her being like yeah pregnancy is fucked up. Even if you really want the child that is going to result from the pregnancy it's an alien and it's eating you. (laughs) And that's a lot of information. But, you know, on the other hand, one of the things that she sort of positions is, this is like a really Puritan view, is like pregnancy and labor as a punishment for sort of like female sexual satisfaction. You know, lots of people throughout history, men, let's be real, lots of men throughout history have believed that the pain of childbirth was basically punishment for women's like sexual transgressions aka just like experiencing sex so that part of it is kind of fucked up but I don't know I'm kind of of two minds about it because I appreciate her depicting the real bodily extremities of pregnancy via this very interesting vehicle. That's an interesting point about the religious associations with the punishment of sex because there's an apple on the cover of the first twilight book which of course is a reference to eve yeah who is punished with painful childbirth for her transgressions in the garden of eden and all subsequent women in genesis yeah i mean the pain of childbirth is meant to be women's punishment for seeking knowledge for original sin basically but often the the sort of experience of Eve is coded as sexual awakening Mm -hmm. like our understanding of her relationship with the serpent in sort of a lot of scholars estimation is that it the her sort of awakening to the tree of knowledge is is at least partly a sexual awakening I think this is also maybe in a cheeky way maybe not a way of exploring the horror and fear around becoming a parent. Because here's this creature that wants everything from you that is coming into the world. Yeah. And that you and have... it's like literally consuming your body. And that you have no actual control over. Mm-hmm. Even though... And it, it's simultaneously uncontrollable and totally reliant on you. Yeah, and the experience of early parenthood is sort of giving yourself over entirely to another being. Like, it runs your life. And Edward's apprehension around how that's going to change his world and maybe take everything he loves away from him is, I mean, it's kind of fucked up on Edward's part. Well, mostly because it goes against Bella's wishes. But uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of believable. It's an extreme version of, like, an expectant father's, like, anxiety. Well, and I also think that one of Edward's fears is that it will change how Bella loves him or like it will it it's somehow an interloper in his and Bella's sort of everlasting one-on-one love. Well I mean he's literally afraid it's gonna physically take her away from him 
But I think there is some illusion in that of he's afraid that she's basically that he is afraid sort of when she makes this very extreme decision to carry the pregnancy to term that she is making the decision that this creature this child whatever we want to call it is more precious to her than he is and he has never had to experience the possibility that Bella could love anything more than she loves him and I think in a relationship where you introduce a child like that's a real fear like the triangulation of a couple's affections as you sort of introduce like you know you and I will probably never love each other as much as both of us would love a child if we had one right which honestly like kind of fucks me up to think about and Edward is sort of having that experience of like wow I thought Bella could never want anything more than she wants me but she wants this child more She's willing to die. Edward has a kind of despicable, but also kind of an understandable and natural reaction to being supplanted yeah, that it's way. An interesting, it's an interesting development. Yes, I agree. And complication. There's a lot of interesting things we could talk about around Bella's decision to keep this baby. But uh, I like this part of the book where she's making decisions that don't have anything to do with Edward. Or they kind of do because... She wants, like, mini Edward, but also she's, like, finally, like, standing up to him and defying him. Yeah, I mean, there's something really icky to me about sort of glamorizing her choice to carry a pregnancy to term that will probably kill her. I just, I don't want to get into that, but I don't love it. But I do agree that she has finally sort of unchained her will from his and is able to see a universe in which he's not the only sort of like pole. And I think, you know, because she starts to talk with Charlie on the phone and she starts to kind of think after she becomes pregnant and she starts to think about, you know, ways she could keep her family life integrated with her vampire life post-changing. Right, which is great because it sort of does expand her mind and remind her of the possibilities that she will want a community that isn't Edward and that a family is something that she wants to maintain. And it does sort of snap her out, literally snap her at one point. (laughs) But it kind of snaps her out of this sort of binary universe in which it's her and him and that's it. And she sort of, it's kind of expansive for her in an interesting way. At the same time as it's incredibly fucked up. Yeah. I mean, I guess fucking parenthood is complicated, right? I mean, as non-parents, yeah. I'm going to say I think so. Seems like it, you know. It seems we're just... hard to me. Yeah. They're the most challenging decisions I can imagine making. Yeah. So, I get it. Let's, like, talk for just a minute about all this werewolf shit. Because... <sighs> It's so fucking boring. There's so much, like, logistical nonsense. I don't care about the whole alpha thing. I was so bored. I don't care about Sam as a character at all. All of these other werewolves are fucking interchangeable. The only thing that I cared about at all was to be so, like, in my very bones upset by the scene where Quill is babysitting Claire. That's the worst (laughs) scene in any of these books by such a huge margin. It's so disgusting. I rolled my eyes. It was hard being around imprinted people. No matter what stage they were in, about to tie the knot like Sam or just a much-abused nanny like Quill, the peace and certainty they always radiated was downright puke-inducing. Claire squealed on his shoulders and pointed at the ground. Pity walk, Quill. 
For me, for me. Which one, kiddo? The red one? No, Wed. Quill dropped to his knees. Claire screamed and pulled his hair like a horse's reins. This blue one? No, 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 the little girl sang, thrilled with her new game. The weird part was, Quill was having just as much fun as she was. He didn't have that face on that so many of the tourist dads and moms were wearing, the when is nap time face. You never saw a real parent so jazzed to play whatever stupid kitty sport their rugrat could think up. I'd seen Quill play peekaboo for an hour straight without getting bored. And I couldn't even make fun of him for it. I envied him too much. Though I did think it sucked that he had a good 14 years of monkitude ahead of him until Claire was his age. She explains it away, saying, oh, when you imprint on someone, you're just whatever that person needs at that time. So when they're little, then you're like the world's best big brother. But then when they're legal, you're like together. And we know that Stephanie Meyer, one of her sort of core beliefs as put forth in this book is that romantic love is the culmination of all other possible kinds of love. So clearly he's not going to be Clara's brother. Forever. No. I mean, po- I, I don't know when that changes. Ew. I, do you think like she turns 18 and he's like, all right, let's do this. Like, I mean, what does that, that look like? Uh, that is like fucking medieval. Yeah, it's you yucky. Know? I mean, medieval, it would be like 13. But... Right. But, you know, the like betrothed. Well, and the thing that's so complicated is like, okay, like when does he develop? Like eventually he'll be sexually attracted to her. And is that, like, does he wait until she's legal? Or because, like, she will sort of hit, like, physical maturity before it's, like, remotely okay for him to be, like, into her. So, like... Yeah, I don't know. We're meant to understand that because an imprinted person loves the other so much, they would never take advantage of the situation. But just, boy, there'd be so... In real life, in the real world, if you, like... There would be a lot of room for exploitation, I think. It's creepy. Also, it would be easy to, like, fake imprint. Yeah, but anyway. Yeah, I hate that scene. Um, <laughs> it's so... It's, it's mostly really boring. And, you know, the the woman has no choice in the matter. We're meant to understand. Or they're just bowled over by the force of the imprinting. So they just naturally if decide I were, to be... If I were Claire, I'd be like, this has been creepy for a really long time and I'm out. yeah. Like, uninterested. Thank you. But you can't unimprint. Okay, well, so he'll just have to be sad. She's not imprinted on him. I know. She can bounce. I hope she does. <laughs> I want a book about Claire, like, extracting herself from this bullshit. Ooh, that would be a good horror. Well, yeah, because that's the thing. It, it, it turns really quickly into horror. Yeah. If you think about it at all. Be horrified to have a werewolf obsessed with you from birth. Yeah. It's not romantic at all. Yeah. But the relationships in these books are very, they're all very fatalistic. And both parties are depicted as having kind of no choice in the matter. They're like, it's just these like natural forces of attraction. Like Bella could no more not be obsessed with Edward than stop breathing oxygen. And the same with Quill and this fucking three-year-old girl. Yeah, there is a sense in her, I don't know, in Stephanie Meyer's imagination that love is sort of immutable and fixed, which I think is sort of juvenile. And these books are for juveniles, but I think that messaging is obviously coming like from her authorial voice. 
and it seems like a really damaging message because also what if Claire dies does that does Quill have to die that's fucked I don't know you know people get widowed and widowered bad things happen to the people that people love all the time and they have to figure out a way to continue to like be also is there same sex imprinting yeah that's a good question there's obviously no there's so much actually like deranged sexual attraction in these books and the one thing that she can't possibly imagine is the very normal sexual attraction of like gay and queer people. I have no idea if you can imprint on somebody of the same gender. I just think all these supernatural societies would be way less heteronormative. Yeah. In reality. I, yeah, we've talked about that reality. with Harry Potter it's too. It's fantasy, but... But I mean, if you were to write fantasy and you could imagine all of these different ways that human or humanoid creatures could exist and different ways their biology could function and different ways that their sort of like minds could meld but you can't imagine queer sexuality like that's just that's a failure of imagination but could you get a YA book deal well these days yeah which yeah, is cool I guess you're right. that's changing which I really appreciate so maybe we need to just read more queer YA I don't read that much YA in general that's true we read Twilight This and is Harry basically Potter. my YA. There's yeah. much better YA than this. You've read The Hunger Games. Yeah, I did read that. We can't do a podcast about The Hunger Games. They're not funny at all. No, they're not funny. There's nothing like, funny about wasn't it. Wasn't it funny when like Rue fucking died or whatever? Yeah, it's uh, awful. They're just it's awful. It's not possible to maintain the Quibbler brand uh, but in dystopia. Also, those are heteronormative as hell, too. They're always just love triangles, but they're always hetero love triangles. Ugh. I guess like we should talk about Jacob a little bit because we do get some interesting Jacob character development. Poor Jacob. We, we just completely ignored Jacob. He just gets, uh, we friend zoned him. I mean, he, you know? he sort of gets sidelined in his own narrative. I do actually like his narrative voice. Like I said at the beginning, I thought that I was going to be really annoyed by that section. When I got to it and I realized it was in Jacob's voice, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be such a drag. But it was okay. It was smart of her because otherwise we'd just be sitting in a hospital bed with Bella. Just like talking about how fucking weird she feels. Yeah. Which I mean. Yeah, but it would be like. It would be like all this tortured, like, oh, I love Edward, but I love the baby, but I love Edward. And, and also like, I kind of love, and also I kind of love Jacob. But I love Jacob. A little bit, yeah. A spoiler that I will share is that when Bella becomes a vampire, she is all of a sudden bearable as a character. And I'm like, God, we shouldn't have had to wait for the last 90 pages of this book for Bella to like not totally suck. <laughs> well, now she actually sucks. Ha ha. I don't know. I like... I mean, the main point here is this imprinting on Renesmee, which is just real dark. It does an interesting thing. One credit I will give is that it sort of resolves the why are Bella and Jacob sort of inextricably linked question. Because we always knew that Jacob sort of wasn't her true love, but she still sort of couldn't get away from him or get rid of him or get him out of her life. Yeah, they have this inexplicable connection. So that kind of makes sense now, which I like. I think we could have figured out a better way to resolve that that wasn't having falling, him falling in, in love, love with, with an baby. infant. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I guess we have an answer now. And I also do like one thing that I think is a kind of interesting moment is when Carlisle figures out that Renesmee and Jacob have the same number of chromosomes. So you do have this sort of inkling that they are kind of two of a kind in the universe. 
like they have this special kind of like cell deep bond which I don't hate that I think that's kind of interesting and also Alice can't see her and yeah and she can't see Jacob either so I wonder if it's because the baby's fate is so tied up with Jacob's that she disappears from Alice's view because this baby wouldn't exist without Jacob and vice versa kind of like their fates are sort of totally tied together putting aside the total strangeness of Jacob falling in love with a literal newborn baby the imprinting scene is a really good microclimax like i think the whole last chapter of the jacob book with the harrowing birth scene which is kind of more sensory and sensual than the fucking like actual sex scene earlier well like Um, when sorry i know this is a, a a different detail but when edward is very gently biting her all over her body and like it looks like he's like kissing her like wrists and ankles and like knees and stuff it's actually kind of the most erotic scene in the entire book you're like okay here's some like physical chemistry yeah the harrowing alien birth scene uh definitely did more for me than uh, any of the (laughs) dumb honeymoon sex um that part is, I mean, that part is really fucking exciting because, you know, Stephanie Meyer is really good at describing extreme sensory experiences. Yes. And this is a great kind of sub-climax to the, oh, it's the climax of the second book. It's really powerful when Jacob, like, leaves Bella's, like, mangled body on the slab and is just feeling, like, completely bereft because he has, like, no purpose in life. And then he resolves to murder this creature. And then he has the totally wild experience of imprinting on Renezme just as he's about to, like, kill her. That total shift is... uh... And she actually describes the sensations and experiences of imprinting pretty powerfully. Yeah, yeah, that's like... The kind of, like, shifting of gravitational force toward a new center is, you know, it's not bad descriptive language. I didn't hate it. I hate that it's a baby. Yeah, I know. But But in terms of... it's still... No, it's still interestingly it, done. It is a satisfying, it's a satisfying close to the second act. Like it I does have a really good like dun 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 yeah. like <laughs> moment. I totally agree with that. Then when he sort of hears her heart start up again and we're in this new, we're kind of in this brave new world of the universe of Twilight in a way that is about to get, well, is about to stay interesting. And that part is really nicely described. It is, yeah. They're hearing the beat and yeah. And it's a new rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Um, Let's talk about the movie for a second. It's so fucking terrible. Boy, the movie's fucking garbage, I have to say. I, w- I wanted to like it. I wanted to like it. Oh yeah, I'm fully invested in enjoying these films and this one was... Oh man. Garbage. I don't even know how, how to even describe it. Well, the graphics are so bad. <laughs> yeah. Like the a lot werewolves of really... are extremely dumb looking. There's and a lot of very bad wolf CGI. There's, some, there's like the scenes where they try to kind of portray like the wolf pack thought reading voices. It just the sound mixing is really bad. So you just have no fucking clue what's going on. Yeah. If I hadn't read the books, I would just be completely. Very disoriented. Very disoriented. They try to do all of these kind of innovative or like edgy visual storytelling. Like the the scene where they try to portray the venom moving through Bella's blood vessels. It just looks like a bad shot from um Oh my god, what's that movie where the it's like it's Bill Murray Osmosis it's Jones. It's like an Osmosis yeah. Jones scene. All of a sudden we're in inner space. 
yeah. The blood vessels are um, changing. Yeah. And it's really cheesy graphics. Too cheesy for the fact that this was made in like the 2000s. The only good scenes are with Anna Kendrick. Full stop. Honestly, Anna Kendrick gives a virtuoso performance and she appears in one scene. She should have won Best Supporting Actress. This is, I mean, yeah, she's a breath of fresh air in every tiny second she appears in in these movies. (laughs) And I have, I'm not the biggest Anna Kendrick fan, but God, she's so much better than anyone else acting in these. She's so winning. Well, okay, I actually, I really think that Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart are vastly underrated as these characters. I think they bring a fair amount of life and interest to incredibly badly written roles. So Kristen Stewart does a pretty good job kind of conveying Bella's extreme bodily experience. The one thing they do really well in the movie is however they CGI her body, it's really horrifying. Like she looks great in how terrible she looks. <laughs> um, like the scene where she's like Rosalie is about to bathe her and Edward sees her taking her bathrobe off and she's just like sick and emaciated and you this like terribly like horrific distended stomach that like doesn't even really look like a pregnant belly so much as like a like a bloated kind of corpse like it's it's really awful but I think visually that's done really well but other than that god this movie's garbage (laughs) to be fair given the content like it would kind of need to be r-rated at minimum to be really good yeah it sort of pulls its punches but the book does too in a lot of ways well I mean Sort of annoying how little sex we see, but also kind of a godsend that we don't have to experience firsthand this disgusting coitus. I don't think, yeah, you could never really get across like just the true physical weirdness of the vampires. No, and that's another thing that I think is a problem throughout the films is you, the vampires just, you can't do justice to her descriptions, which is hilarious to say because her descriptions are like a little lacking but they basically just look chalky. <laughs> like there's no... And the way they portray their sort of extreme movements is really corny. Oh yeah. It like, just looks like the Flash. It kind of looks like in the Harry Potter movies when the Death Eaters like do their weird smoke thing. Um, but dumber. Yeah, it's... It, I mean, it would be hard to make the vampires or the werewolves look as cool as they might in your imagination. But it's like they don't even try. Yeah. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Cora, the Portuguese housekeeper. It's so metal just to walk up to someone and say, death. Well, also, she confronts Edward, which is hella brave, because he could very easily kill her. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing. She's like, what the fuck, dude? This is not right. Yeah. My unsung hero is Charlie, who is the only good person in these books. And specifically, Jacob goes missing And everyone else, I mean, for obvious reasons, but everyone is kind of like, it's fine. Like, he'll be back. Even Billy Black is like, it's chill. And Charlie is like, we should be looking for him. (laughs) Like, poor Charlie is like, what is wrong with everybody? Jacob is missing. And Bella's like, it's chill. And Billy's like, it's chill. And Charlie just has to be like, should we put up flyers? Like, I could put out an APB. Like, I'm a cop. (laughs) Should we look for him? So, God bless Charlie. Also, Charlie in the second half is fucking awesome. Charlie remains my favorite character throughout the entire rest of this book. Charlie is so good. 
So preemptive unsung hero. But he's also, I mean, he's wonderful all the way through. Also, Billy Burke is who plays him and he's great. He's very winning in this role. It's like he's in another movie. It's like he's in a good cop movie. (laughs) And everybody else is in this like teenage horror show. It just feels very tossed off, the movie. It does, except for Charlie. Yeah. Um, I actually really like the actor who plays Billy Black too. But basically there's three dads who I wish these books were about. (laughs) (laughs) This week's episode is brought to you by Isle Esme. The perfect honeymoon destination for film fanatics. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Ileana Kadushin and Matt Walters' performance of Twilight, colon, Breaking Dawn, part one, but also part two. You can find us on social media at Quibbler Podcast. We're not normally called the Nimbler, as you know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you do that. Rate and review us if you are so inclined. Recently, a one-star reviewer called us snowflakes, which was sick. (laughs) Um, And next time we'll be back to Harry Potter. So we'll talk to you then. Ciao, Bella. It had all been simpler than I'd expected. We'd fit together like corresponding pieces made to match up. This had given me a secret satisfaction. We were compatible physically, as well as all the other ways. Fire and ice. Somehow existing together without destroying each other. If I hadn't been running on vapors, I wouldn't have come into town at all. I was going without a lot of things these days. Like Pop-Tarts and shoelaces, to avoid spending time in public. This, uh, you guys all know, this uh, videotape is going to be available with Pop-Tarts box tops. So essentially we know right now we're talking to Pop-Tart eaters. It's a good feeling, isn't it? Just knowing that the Pop-Tart eaters are going to be, you know. You guys seem like such a nice crowd. I'm almost kind of sorry the little Pop-Tart eaters can't be with us right now. This is like putting a message in a bottle or something, you know. Chapter 8, waiting for the damn fight to start already. Chapter 9, sure as hell didn't see that one coming. Chapter 10, why didn't I just walk away? Oh right, because I'm an idiot.